Okay, welcome back to the LED Project Podcast, hosted by Lighthouse Educator Development. My name is Kyle Krieger, and we have a little bit different thing going on uh, this episode. We have our first guest ever, my good friend, Matt Horo. Maddie, how you doing, bud? I'm doing well, Kyle. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, Matt and I, well, we've known each other probably, we were 15, 16 when yeah. we met. Yeah, when we beat you in, in state golf. Yeah, yeah, I remember. <laughs> So yeah, I remember probably uh, probably 18 years ago, 17, yeah. 18 years ago. Yeah, and then I didn't see you much in high school because we moved up from Division three to Division two, so we never played again after my freshman year. Yep. But then, was it your junior year that you came to Winona or your sophomore year? Would have been my junior year. Yeah. Yeah, two years at Boise State. Yeah, so then we went to school together. Uh, at Winona State and played played a little golf. Matt played a lot better than I did and had a had a great career there. So, all right, getting started, Maddie. First question I'm gonna ask you just to get you warmed up. Yeah, tell us about your favorite teacher of all time. Oh, my favorite teacher of all time. Does it have to include? Can it include college? It can be anyone anyone you want. You know, I I'll do high school or like a, kind of my uh, my. My pre-college teachers, and then my my I have a college teacher of mine too. Um, but um, my chemistry teacher in uh, in high school, um, Tim was just amazing. And not that I was like the best science student, you know, I always struggled in chemistry or something. But he always made it fascinating, always made it relevant. Um, and I still remember that because I didn't have a lot of teachers like that. It was always just kind of here's a bunch of facts, memorize it. If I have time for you, we'll talk later. And he just made a, a point to like reach out to us to instill an inspiration around science. So I always remember him um, so well. And, but then the, the person who really kind of changed my life as far as making education relevant um, was Tim Hatfield. And that, that really wasn't until I entered grad school. And so that was my first year of grad school. He was my advisor. Um, but almost like a second father kind of figure and, and just really helped mentor me, um, was really honest, but caring and just really fostered growth in learning. Um, and kind of just that knowledge of self, you got to know who you are, know where you want to go, um, before you can start doing great things. So, um, yeah. And they're both Tim's. So, Hey, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's good. You know, a lot of Tim's. Yeah. All right. So, We've been using these, what we call We Connect cards. It's by a company called WeN.me. So we always ask one question on our podcast. So here's your question. All right. What would your closest friend say is your best character trait? Oh, man, my best character trait? (laughs) Oh, that's a good question. You know, probably... It's probably my best and one of my worst is just I really get passionate about certain topic and, and subjects, um, and that passion really leads me to stand up for issues that um, sometimes people don't have the courage to or they're not comfortable with, and so you know it's and sometimes that can cause a little conflict when you stand up for things that people don't agree with you on, but. Um, you know, I would say a lot of close friends say I, I, I have a lot of opinions and I stick to them and I try and articulate my opinions um, to really try and, and do good. So I'm hoping that's that's one they would say, but maybe it's I'm a goofball too and I like to have fun. <laughs> oh, yeah. Absolutely. 100%. 100%. Okay, next question. Do you have a, 
a book recommendation that you think every teacher should read? Yes. Um, right now, I, I, I read it uh, probably last, it was last summer, and it's called The Teacher Wars um, by Dan, Diane Goldstein, I believe, is the author. And that is for any teacher who's in the profession, it just lays out the whole history of teaching. And she does it a way that is critical, but also like realistic. Um, and so she critiques both sides, if you want to call the, the political spectrum of the left and the right. Um, but she kind of makes sense of how we got to right now, like why things operate that they do from unions to curriculum, um, just to w what our teacher force looks like. And she really lays out that history of public education, um, everything from teacher pay and just all that. And to really make sense, and I think in my experience, a lot of teachers are, you know, burned out, getting frustrated. And the book helps make sense of like why things are. And it might not be a tool that you can use to fix your problems in education, but it gives you a really grounded understanding of why things are the way they are. Yeah, I was really happy because you recommended that to me a while back and it was yeah. really, really good, like you said, to just get an understanding of the context of how we've gotten to this point. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. That's awesome. Okay. So what's your educational philosophy? If you were going to sum up your educational philosophy in a few words. Yes. So just a little bit of my, my background, I'm, I'm a school counselor, but now I do racial equity work. Um, and so I'm coaching teachers, working with students. And so my philosophy is I, I within that model, I believe race and racism are embedded strongly within the foundation of our education system, our institutions. And so my model is using that as a critical lens um, to look at things of how we do business and education with our curriculum, with our teaching force, um, and all those things and how it's embedded so we can have conversations around that, um, build critical thinking skills, um, and to solve some problems that are, are really um, impacting education. And so I look at Minnesota where we're at. Um, we have some of the largest disparities, uh, a lot of times the largest disparity um, when it comes down to race between white students and students of color. And a lot of times we go to like, well, let's do this program, let's do that program. But throughout this, in my experience, we're never having conversations around race and around racism and the legacy that our country has had. And so for me, using that lens um, is very critical to the work I do as an educator. And it's not like one thing. It's not like race is over here, gender is over here, sexuality is over here. Race is embedded in all those things. And so to use that as a lens uh, really guides my work. Awesome. All right. Well, the purpose of our podcast, Maddie, is just so we can inspire teachers, you know, that may be burnt out or are new or are trying to learn the craft and, and give them some practical things that yeah. they can use in their in their craft. So um, before we go back into what you're talking about with your uh, race equity work, how did you get into education in the first place? Yeah. So my my background in college was psychology and it came a point to, man, what am I going to do with this degree? What do I want to explore? And one of the classes I had to take was, it was like um, jobs in, in psychology. I can't remember the course, but it was, you had to explore career paths uh, with a psychology degree. And through that, I learned about, hey, I could be a school counselor. Um, so I was weighing it and it basically came down to, I was either going to be a school counselor or an industrial organizational psychologist. And those are the people that 
basically go into companies and businesses and use psychology to help organizations run better. Um, but I ended up choosing the path of school counseling. I met my mentor, Tim Hatfield. He was influential in bringing me in, um, really, you know, promoting the field of school counseling um, because I, I saw my own education and what I was receiving and what I didn't receive. And as I started to take more of a vested um, interest in my own education, because pretty much K through 12, I really didn't care. Um, I got good grades, but I just, I wasn't, I wasn't interested in what I was learning. And I kind of just thought that's what learning was. And so as I started to develop through college, a, a sense of like knowledge and learning, um, I really wanted to share that, share that with the world and try and help improve education uh, based on my own experience. And I, I think a lot of people have that experience as well. Um, and so I chose school counseling and right away from the get-go, the classes, I felt, I felt challenged. I felt validated. I felt like my mind was being, um, being open. I felt really that I was growing as, as a person and as a student. And, um, from there it's working in schools. And when I was in the schools, just loved working with kids and it just felt right. And so I jumped right into school counseling, um, and did that for about six years, and now I'm doing the work I've I've been doing for the last two years. Nice. All right. So, I w I was lucky enough, or we we were lucky enough that when you were doing your internship, you had a chance to come here to Houston and and work with the district in Houston, yep. and then you went back to Winona for a couple of years, right? Yes. Yes. So and, and then yeah. and then to Minneapolis. So could you kind of <laughs> compare? you know, the, the school counseling, kind of the, the job you have to do in those three different places? Yeah, because the demographics are very different going from Alden, which is a huge school district um, in, in any state, it would be one of the biggest, to Winona, which is, you know, 30,000 people total. And you're looking at roughly, you know, just a few thousand kids in the school system. Um, that's mostly a rural, rural city, uh, with about 20% students of color. And then to Minneapolis, which is a larger, larger city that's isolated. Um, you know, the nearest bigger city is you're getting to Madison, Wisconsin, Milwaukee, and then Chicago. And so, um, you know, in Texas and just the school counseling, um, you know, part of the reason I was down there is to diversify my own experience. Cause I was just a white guy growing up. I mean, we grew up in Wisconsin yeah. and, yeah. Not a lot of diversity, not a lot of um, just differences. And so going to Texas, it was really kind of a huge learning experience for me to get out of my comfort shell, um, to work in a community that I had never lived in or been a part of, um, and just a large, diverse community. And so that that was kind of a, just a foundation of hearing people's stories that I'd never heard before to start to make sense of a world that um, I really wanted to understand better. And in Texas, uh, I was close to close to staying there. I mean, you remember trying to find yeah, jobs. Yeah. Um, the barrier for me was that you needed three years of teaching experience on top of your school counseling degree, um, which I just didn't have. And so from there, the time came to find jobs and applying all over the country to find jobs. And Winona um, loved me and they wanted, wanted me to come back. I'd done some of my uh, practicum work in the school system there. And was lucky enough to find a job um, in school counseling, later realizing how hard it is to find jobs, um, not just in education or any fields, but, but in school, school counseling specifically. 
Um, I think there was 15 people in my cohort, and I think a couple of us landed jobs right away out of school. So um, just lucky enough to get a job. But Winona was great because Winona is rapidly changing as well. Um, they have a lot of families who are coming from Chicago escaping violence. Um, they have a lot of immigrant families coming from Central and South America and, and Mexico. Um, and so it's rapidly changing. And so it was nice being in Winona because I had that mindset being in Texas um, where I just wanted to, to really help people who the system wasn't kind of built and designed for them, but wanted to kind of change to help them. And so to be a part of that change was really nice in Winona. Um, and then eventually met my wife and we wanted to get up closer to the cities, um, around Minneapolis and was able to land jobs up here. Um, and the, the difference in Minneapolis, um, is just, it's a larger system and to see Minneapolis, Minneapolis is interesting. Um, the, the data that I talked about as far as how we're one of the worst in the country, um, Compared to Houston, uh, even Winona, Minneapolis is very segregated, um, and the communities are very segregated, and the learning is very segregated, and then the data, you look at the data, and it's very segregated based on race, and um, that facet was more so felt than Texas, than Winona, than anywhere else, than, um, than living in Minneapolis, and it's just amazing. You can drive a few miles and how different things change and the resources and the money and how things operate. Um, and so to start thinking about that system, because Minneapolis is rapidly changing as well, and it's only going to change even more um, by the time my kid goes through the school system and, and, and in the years to come. So Yeah, well, and, and to your point, too, you know, I mean, I grew up in a town of around 2,000. Osseo's got to be, what, maybe 1,000? 1700. Yeah. 1700. You know, so we both had that same experience when we went to Houston of seeing a world we didn't even know existed. Yes. And then over time, like I didn't realize uh, that there's data that Wisconsin is the most segregated state in the country. Yes. Because. And yeah. And I do a lot of work with Wisconsin people and um, theirs is specifically white, white and black between white and black students. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's, it's a legacy that we're dealing with educationally, um, but also in a lot of other institutions like healthcare, like incarceration, um, oh, yeah. and, and the responsibility to look at that and how can we make it better is, um, really a high priority. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and that's the thing too, you know, the, the district I worked in that you were in for a little while, Aldine is the majority of students are of color. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's, th- there are challenges here, but, you know, there, there's such a diverse challenge, um, you know, with all the different races and ethnic groups, you know, in, in what they need. So, so what is the, the work you do with teachers? Yeah. So the teachers is a lot, it, it's kind of a multi-tiered process, but the first part is mindset. Um, and the hard thing is, And think of it like professional development. You know, we all go to college, but after college, we need to keep that learning going. And so the work I do with teachers is a lot around mindset. So shifting mindset. um, And I'll speak about Minnesota. Uh, We have a thing where you keep it personal, local, and immediate. So for me, my experience is around right now Minnesota Minnesota folks. Um, And in Minnesota, um, you know, most of the teachers are coming from areas like you and I grew up in. Um, they're coming from segregated areas 
And so that interaction and that mindset of different cultures and different races um, really isn't there. We like to think, though, that if I'm just a good person, you know, I just treat you the way you want to be treated and, and vice versa. It's all going to be good um, because 99% of the teachers I know are hardworking, caring people. Um, but the data is still there that reflects that we have some major work to do. Um, and so a lot of it is I work with teachers to first look at their mindset. Um, part of it's where did you grow up? How were you socialized? All those things play into how you deliver instruction. Um, I can't remember what the quote is, but it's like we teach who we are, something like that. You know what I'm yeah, saying? Like yeah, We absolutely. teach what we know and where we come from. Um, so it's working on that mindset of kind of describing where did I come from? What do my social groups look like? Um, you know, what, what did my teachers look like? My curriculum, my whole totality of my lived experience, because that, that, that matters. That means something because I'm a product of myself and how I deliver instruction and curriculum. Um, and not that it has to change, but just to be aware of it. Um, because a lot of times we're just, we're not aware of how we do business and how we do things. So I'm kind of like that outside person to like give another perspective of, of helping teachers grow with that mindset around race. Um, the tricky part is, is though some teachers are coming in, they're ready to do racial equity work. They're ready to jump in. Some teachers, it's really hard for them. Um, you know, they struggle with it. It's uncomfortable. Um, it's hard to talk about because we're not used to talking about it. Um, and then some are just like, well, what's the point? You know, so it's, it's a challenge. You've got different groups you're trying to motivate and influence and give some, some professional development around. Um, but you got to start somewhere. And so we start with the mindset and then eventually working our way to the curriculum piece. Um, and how do we bring in multiple perspectives? Cause of a lot of our students, um, the curriculum does not reflect reflect their lived experience. Uh, and so when you don't have that knowledge of self, um, it's really hard to love yourself and love the world and take a vested interest in your education. But when you, when you know yourself and you know your com- where you came from, you know all the good parts, the bad parts, um, all the research points to higher success rates in graduation and going to college and things like that. And so it's kind of a multi-tiered system where we're working with teachers on their mindset to their curriculum um, and even like how psychology is embedded in there. So um, a, a great example we did with our staff last year um, is we did a book study with our staff on post-traumatic slave syndrome. It's a book by Dr. Joy DeGruy, and it helps teachers understand certain behaviors they might see in kids who are experiencing trauma or who have experienced trauma, um, where those behaviors come from and how they get passed on throughout history. Uh, and, and through that book study, just to give you an example of how that can change mindsets, is in the last two years, our behavior referrals are, are, have been cut in half at our elementary school. Um, and it's part of that mindset along with systems that we put in place to help teachers um, use a kind of a critical lens, we call it, to examine themselves, examine how they do business, um, to have that positive change. So, so if, if you know, we're talking to so some teachers who grew up like us, because I know in yeah. Houston and, and in other major cities, you know, they're recruiting teachers, especially from the Midwest. So you grew up with an experience like we did. How, what is the, the best kind of advice you could give for a new teacher who is maybe going from Wisconsin to Houston or to Phoenix or to New York or wherever it might be in order to kind of, you know, yeah. get, get started on the right foot. 
I would say if you are uncomfortable or you are just being uncomfortable, being comfortable, being uncomfortable. Um, part of my experience too, going down to Aldine was I was, it was something I was uncomfortable with. I hadn't been in that type of system. I hadn't been in that type of environment. Um, but I was really pushed to be, if I want to grow, I've got to be uncomfortable and I've got to learn to be comfortable. Um, and, and so that's a huge piece of advice for, for teachers is those moments you feel like this is uncomfortable or I don't understand is a really a good time to start to lean in, to start to grow, to start to learn to be comfortable being uncomfortable. Um, and the topic of race and racism uh, is a very loaded word and brings a lot of emotions. Um, but I would, what I would say to teachers in my work is being comfortable talking about race and racism has opened up so many doors to the children I work with, to the learning that we deliver, and has had really positive results because all of a sudden you take a subject that's completely unrelevant to a student and you've made it relevant because for a lot of our kids, um, their lived experience is very different than mine. And once I can start to validate that and be comfortable delivering instruction that validates my students' lived experience, um, it, it has some really positive effects. And so it's a learning curve. What I tell students too is, um, man, I, I've been doing this for like going on almost 10 years, but I've been growing every year and I'm still growing and I'll grow till the day I die. And so I'll never be an expert. Um, but as long as I'm trying to learn and I'm, I'm trying and knowing I'm going to fail and that's okay. Um, I'd rather fail, um, try and fail than I've never tried at all. And so that's, that's really important. Um, and finding mentors and people who don't look like you as well to give you feedback, to give you advice, making sure you're having conversations with people who look different than you, who have different experiences. And then you can start to build the language, um, of an experience that you've never had before. So it's very complicated, but if you have that mindset for me, it's really helped just that growth mindset and being uncomfortable. So you're talking about having conversations with people that don't necessarily look like you or things like that. What, what are some tips or maybe tactics you could give the teachers in order to just approach those conversations in an authentic way? So, you know, you can engage with the other person and approach them from a, you know, a position of, Hey, we're, we're on the same team here. Yeah. And it, there's, there's so many ways you can go about this. Um, you know, the, the first thing, a lot of this too, what's, what's helped me be successful in my racial equity work is the counseling skills I have. So that group work foundation, setting boundaries, setting norms, um, Setting that this space is a safe space, and these are the rules we're gonna we're gonna follow, and having the kids create those rules too, because um, that foundation has to be there. Of this is a safe space. That community place has to be there first as well. And so um, I, I can tell you, there's a huge difference from a teacher's room I go in, and the community foundation isn't quite there to a teacher's classroom I go in, and the community foundation is is very solid because. The classrooms have that solid community foundation who take the time to, to really develop their community um, is going to be way more open to this type of conversation and way more engaged because they feel safe, they feel comfortable, uh, they feel valued. Um, whereas if you don't have that foundation, it makes it really hard to have these conversations to engage all kids. Yeah. Um, yeah. Right. I mean, and, the, and my business partner and I, we, we talk a ton about, we, we don't, you called it, um, we call it classroom culture, but you, you know, you called it, what'd you call it? The classroom what? 
Oh, community. Classroom, Classroom culture. Yeah. Yes. Culture, I mean, it's, community. It's, yeah. We, we're big on how important that is. And I would definitely like to, after we get done with this, talk to you a little bit about, you could direct us some, to some research that. Yeah. That. Absolutely. That's that. But as we wrap up here, tell us a little bit about the trip you're going on this upcoming. Yeah. So a huge piece of the work I do, um, and I'm very fortunate, and it goes back to all of these things we're talking about. Um, we're talking about uh, achievement gaps, opportunity gaps, and based on race. And so I'm lucky enough where I get to take a group of students on a civil rights research experience. And it's a multiracial group of kids, black, white, uh, biracial. And we load a bus and we head out all over the country uh, to different historical sites of civil rights. And so to give you an example, last year, um, we were in New York City, we were in Charleston, South Carolina, Selma, Alabama, uh, Louisiana, um, Memphis, Tennessee, um, and, and just really we met with some tremendous people in the civil rights. So for instance, we met the attorney, uh, Fred Gray, who was the attorney to uh, Rosa Parks and Dr. King. Um, he was the lead attorney in the Tuskegee syphilis experiments. And we got to meet him and talk with him. Um, and we were... Let's see, we were in Dr. King's house. Um, but on top of that, we were also in New York City and, and learning about the history of our country um, to, so kids can have an understanding of knowledge of self because a lot of our history books that you look at, um, you know, they're very compact in, the, in their instruction and in their history. Um, they have to cover certain subjects, but the depth of it is very hard for them to go into. And so we kind of call it the above the line, below the line information. So above the line information would be like um, if we use the person like Thomas Jefferson, for example. Thomas Jefferson was our, you know, our third president. Uh, he wrote the Declaration of Independence. Those are things that are most kids get. The below the line information was, you know, he owned over 170 slaves. Um, you know, he actively worked in, in against Native Americans' interests, things like that. And so, the more we start to explore that totality of our history kids start to see their place in society as well. And so how did my community end up the way it is today? Um, and so we go all over the country. This year we're going to Louisville. We're exploring um, the identity and the history of Muhammad Ali. Um, we're also going to Ripley, Ohio, and we're exploring the Underground Railroad. Um, we're going to Washington, D.C. Uh, to hit up Howard University, a historically black college. We're going to the African-American Museum at the Smithsonian. Um, and then one of my favorites is we're going to New York City. And in New York City, the kids learn about uh, the history of Wall Street. So Wall Street actually used to be a wall. It used to be a market where it was created to buy and sell slaves. Um, we learn about the financial institutions in our country that are still here today that got their start on slavery. So Citibank, for example, was created to give loans to slave owners to buy slaves. Um, Tiffany's Di Tiffany Diamonds was started um, based on the money being passed down to the owner and he, from slave money and start, wanted to start a diamond company. Um, and then throughout that, we learned that underneath um, lower Manhattan, 20 feet below the ground, including where the World Trade Centers are at, there's roughly 20,000 uh, buried enslaved Africans. And so there's a national monument that we'll visit there. And these are things a lot of people don't know about, um, but we should all know about it because it, it puts into light the perspective of the totality of the history of our country 
and the legacy that race and racism have played throughout. Um, and the kids start to learn about that to know why is my community the way it is today? Um, why is that community the way it is? And if we look deeply at the history of it, it's all tied to race. Um, and that's really important to acknowledge, not to dwell on the past and be like, oh, what was me? Um, but to know that, to know then where am I at right now so I can know where I'm going. Um, because a lot of times we get distracted. We get distracted by uh, reality TV. We get distracted by the new type of Jordans that are coming out. We get distracted by all these other things. And when we get distracted, we start to lose that knowledge of self. And then it's easy for me to drop out of school. It's easy for me to not care about my education. It's easy for me to not care about a life as well. And we even relate this to gun violence and like, um, and, and, and just like that when you love yourself and you know yourself, you're less likely to do harm, both educationally and psychology, but also physically as well. Um, and, and so part of throughout this, um, the reason we started this trip was to get ethnic studies um, in, our, in our school system. And ethnic studies basically explores everything I talked about, the intersectionality of race and racism and how our country has been formed throughout that. Um, and so next year, we will have that class for all of our high school students. Um, and, and that's something we fought for. And so part of this trip is exactly that. Um, and then I'll just kind of leave one quick example of just like how we measure, kind of measure this and um, look at this. But I always do a little activity with fifth graders. And I do the same activity with the adults. So going back to PD and kind of connecting this. But do a little thought experiments of list as many people of color as you can throughout history. However, you can't do athletes, can't do singers, you can't do actors or actresses. And those three groups, we'll talk about that later, why we don't do that. Um, but then I'm also going to say, well, I'm going to really challenge you, take off Dr. King, Rosa Parks, Harriet Tubman, and the Obamas, and now create your list. And I would challenge any teacher to do that. And if you find that, that activity really difficult to even come up with 10 people or 20 people, what does that say about our education system? Because what I know throughout this experience is I could name 50 people on that list, but it took a really long time to learn that and to uncover that below the line history. And once I discovered that, I realized, holy cow, there are so many great things people of color have done. And knowing that information now, I have a sense of pride. I have a sense of value. I see someone who looks like me, um, and I'm talking about the student, someone who looks like me that I can relate to that can instill a sense of pride rather than it's just, you know, only rappers or only singers or only actors or only musicians um, or only athletes. And which is great to a point, but so much of the things we love and enjoy, our cell phones, our computers, our technology, um, that collective whole, people of color have been involved in all of that. And to know that stuff, to know yourself, um, really instills a sense of pride in kids to to do better in their life. Awesome. So awesome. I would challenge any teacher, that's a really base level experiment to start with um, because it'll uncover your bias. And then we have conversations with kids when the lists are created, the lists are mostly white old men, you know? Um, and then we have a conversation about, about bias because the teachers, the students, they weren't thinking, oh, I'm only going to put old white men on the list. But our bias comes out when we do that activity. And that's a really good example I do with teachers on the PD 
that not only helps change your mindset, but also then as a tool for them to help change your curriculum as well. So that in a metaphor is like our trip and kind of the work I do. Awesome, man. That's And that's a great place to stop the uh, interview. I really appreciate your time. Is there anything, you know, we, we could follow you on social media or anything while you're on your trip or with the work you're doing? Yeah. So when I'm, uh, when I'm on my trip, I will be, um, it's at conscious Mr. H conscious underscore Mr. H all one word. And is that Twitter, Instagram, Facebook? That's, that's my Twitter. Yeah. My Twitter is kind of the main thing I'll, I'll be tweeting stuff on, on the trip about. Um, and then usually what I'll do and I, I'll share the blog link that I'll, I'll create once the trip is done. Um, and so I'm working on kind of a, a, a long piece, um, blog article just to tie in everything I talked about and the importance of the need of looking at our curriculum differently, um, and how that will help benefit the test scores and all the things we talk about. It will help the people who are angry at all these protesters, it will give them um, an understanding as well um, to bridge this cultural gap that we're experiencing in our country that has never left. And so it starts with education um, because it's easy to point the fingers at you know, police or it's easy to point the fingers at this group. Uh, but at the end of the day, we all go through the same education system. And that education system either uh, maintains our bias or it helps interrupt it so we can uh, bridge these gaps that we're experiencing. And so I'll have an article that I'll share in my blog as well about that. Awesome, man. Well, like I said, appreciate your time. We're going to cut the interview here. And if you want to support us, go ahead, like us on Facebook. Uh, our website is the ledproject.com on Facebook. You can get us at facebook.com slash lighthouse educator development. Matt, as always, thanks buddy. I appreciate you. Hey, thank you. And thank you for the work you do and, uh, teachers hang in there. Love you guys. All right.